Uh, good morning. So our reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and that can be found on page 1843 of the Bibles on the chair, uh, or you can follow along on the screen beside me. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that uh, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even, uh, even though through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he, when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thanks, Lockie. And it is really a thrill to be here with you all today, um, whether I've known you for a long time or just meeting today. Um, thanks so much for the warm welcome. Um, so uh, let me little get to know you kind of moment. Um, my wife, Aisha, and I are both Adelaide born and bred, um, but we spent a few years living over in Sydney recently, and, and Aisha actually spent a few years as a kid in Sydney as well. So this is kind of home for us, but we've been over there a little bit. And when we moved there a few years back, um, we took a trek to the North Shore, if you know Sydney, North Shore of Sydney, uh, where Aisha spent a few years as a little kid. And we actually went and knocked on the door of her old house. Um, and luckily, the people living there were quite friendly. Um, and they actually let us in for a walk down memory lane. And Aisha showed me uh, where she and her siblings used to watch Shrek on VHS, uh, the stairs that they loved sliding down. And her one comment was, it's a lot smaller than I remember. 
Uh, then we took a stroll down to the bush school down the street, and Aisha told me about all her adventures as a little year one, carrying her flute to school, getting swooped by magpies. The drink fountains were a little bit lower than she remembered. Uh, after looking around for a while, there was a sports match going on, and, and we kind of felt a bit awkward being there, like hoping that no one comes up and asks us, what are you doing here? Do you know what it feels like to be a stranger in a place that you used to belong? I remember driving through Glenelg East uh, just after mum and dad sold the family home there, uh, kind of looking through and go, oh, the initials that I put in the concrete when I was a teenager, they're not there anymore. Do you know that kind of feeling? Can you imagine being one of those early Christians in Peter's day. Acts chapter 2 tells us that there were God-fearing Jews from Cappadocia, that gets a mention in 1 Peter, there in Jerusalem when Peter preached the first Christian sermon in Acts 2. Imagine that's you. You've traveled all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. You get to the temple, you find this big commotion all these people speaking in every language under the sun are talking about one thing, Jesus. And as Peter preaches, you're cut to the core. All these stories that you've grown up with in the Cappadocian synagogue start coming alive. You hear of this Messiah who suffered and rose in glory as part of God's plan to save. And you know it's true. And so you give your life to Jesus. And after some unforgettable days in Jerusalem, you pack up and you go home. Back in Cappadocia, things feel different. That mix of Jewish culture and pagan revelry, the big nights of drinking, the various temples that you once felt at home in, the language you once used, they don't fit right anymore. You think about the joy of praising God with other Christians, encouraging each other to live differently. It was like a taste of heaven, even a taste of home. Your friends start looking at you differently. Come on, don't be a stranger. You're home, but you're not home. Now, whether that's a totally accurate retelling of how the gospel reached Peter's first readers here. It's an example of every Christian's story, right? Knowing Jesus changes you as you realize that your real home is with him. And that creates certain tensions in life. Concerned family. The youth changed comment. New priorities at work and at home. Another way you could translate that phrase, elect exiles, from verse 1, is chosen strangers. Chosen by God, feeling like a stranger in your old home. Peter wrote in the early 60s AD to believers living on the fringes of the Roman Empire in modern-day Turkey, I've got a little map here just to give you a vibe. 
Um, he's writing to that bit called Asia Minor on the map, and you can maybe kind of see some of the names there. These believers lived under Emperor Nero, who is not remembered for being kind to Christians. As you read through 1 Peter, you get this sense of simmering, sporadic opposition to Christians. Insult. People being offended by the Christian lifestyle. Tension in households. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You can imagine these early Christians asking themselves, how do you live with boldness and joy as someone who doesn't quite fit? Just a little blip in the massive Roman Empire. Peter's writing to people really a lot like Christians today, living in a secular world with that sporadic pressure that's a little bit random and maybe rising a little bit, wondering how do you thrive when you don't quite fit? And the danger that Peter wants to point out for chosen strangers then and now is that we'll settle for less, that we'll forget about our real home and just settle into that old home, a world that rejects God where the things that you can buy and touch and eat are all there is, and death is the end. As he opens this great letter, Peter gives us four big reasons not to settle for less. And they're there in your outline uh, if you want to follow where I'm going. Reason number one, because you're chosen for more. Let me read verse one again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Here's a thought for chosen strangers. Before you were born, in fact, before the creation of the world, God the Father set his affection on you. Why do we go looking for our sense of identity and purpose in dreams of success, the big title, the perfect relationship, dreams that really often turn into nightmares, actually? Peter is reminding us, don't settle for less. You can't get a higher title or a greater purpose than this, being a chosen child of God. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is known by the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Uh, Sanctifying is a very religious-sounding word that just means setting aside or setting apart. God the Holy Spirit has set his people apart to belong not to the world, but to him. That's not something that we kind of work out ourselves by our good behavior. God the Spirit changes us from the inside out. Known by the Father, set aside by the Spirit for an amazing purpose, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Of all the people and causes that we might serve, Who better to obey than the one who was willing to spill his blood for us? 
Peter is going to have a lot to say about what this great uh, purpose of obedience looks like. But I think what he has in view just here is the very most simple act of obedience, of just bending the knee to Jesus and saying, I put my life in your hands. And once you put your trust in Jesus like that, no matter how good or bad a job you do of obeying him from there on, you are marked out as one of his, marked out as forgiven, as purchased forever by his own blood. Hey, like Peter's first readers, we live in a world of pressure, don't we? If you're a believer, it's easy to feel isolated. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace, in your household, or just in that group of friends. It's easy to feel a little bit on the fringes, especially when the popular opinion about Christians isn't always super kind. But just think about this. If you're someone who bows their knee to Jesus, God could not be more invested in you. Did you notice that? God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son completely invested in choosing you, setting you apart, marking you out with his precious blood as one of his own. So don't think of yourself as on the fringes. No, followers of Jesus are more like those pilgrims of old, those Old Testament Israelites who God saved out of Egypt. On the surface, they're just a bunch of scruffy ex-slaves wandering around in the ancient Near Eastern desert. But they knew who they were, God's chosen people. And they carried around with them the blood of the covenant They actually were sprinkled by the blood of bulls as a very concrete picture of God's deadly serious commitment to them. Not at home, not yet, passing through on the dusty road to that promised land. And that's us today, travellers chosen for more. Is that how you think of yourself? It's easy enough, I reckon, to apply that kind of thinking to, say, our overseas missionaries. Um, Think about the Dear Purdy family, who we support both here at Tonsley and at CLG. They've just gone through the massive upheaval of moving their family to Chile to teach people about Jesus there. They've left behind family, friends, a culture they understand. They've taken four kids Uh, to learn a new language. It was hard enough just getting two kids here to church today. Um, Four kids to learn a new language in a place where everyone knows they're different every day. Among all the challenges that the Purdies will be experiencing right now, I reckon that they'll be reminded in very concrete ways each day that they really are elect exiles For those of us who aren't currently in the process of packing your bags to go overseas and share the gospel, it's tempting to look at a family like that and think, I can see how God has called them out of the comforts of home to live a radically different life in the world so that people might know him. We can forget that every believer, no matter where you live, is called to live 
as a chosen stranger. Don't settle for less, says Peter. Because you've been chosen for something so much greater, whether you're in Cappadocia or Chile or Kernelite Gardens or Tonsley, your home is with the God who saved you. For some of us, not settling for less perhaps should involve opening ourselves up to leaving the familiar, to go and live for Jesus somewhere else. For all of us, it will involve seeing life in this world as a trek towards home rather than the end goal, learning that art of living and working here in Adelaide as someone set apart for God. One of the reasons I'm really glad to partner with the Purdies is that they'll keep reminding me of who I've been chosen to be. And I want my kids to know and pray for their kids because it'll teach them that there's more to life than the comforts of Adelaide. Let's remember who we are. Yes, a stranger in this world, handpicked by the king of the universe. I don't know about you, but when I hear it like that, I can't help but ask, am I too at home in the here and now? Uh, when we finished our few years in Sydney and started telling people that we were moving back to Adelaide, uh, people often said, yes, great place to settle down. Wide roads, great school communities, opportunities for sport and academics, and I, I was going to add affordable housing. Wouldn't it be sad if my world became all about unpacking my bags and trying to feel like I've arrived and forgetting who I've been chosen to be? How am I going to show that I belong to another world? My Bible dictionary tells me that the word translated exile or stranger uh, used to be used in other writing at the time to talk about civil servants who distinguished themselves through exemplary conduct while on international business. I think that's quite appropriate. I used to find it really nice when uh, my friends would say, Christians are really weird, but you're okay. You're kind of like us. And maybe there's something encouraging about that. But more and more, I'm wondering, uh, would it be good for my friends to think I'm a bit weirder? Because I belong somewhere else. Somewhere that they'd be probably quite interested to know about if it was on their radar. Uh, some of you I know well. Uh, others I'm just meeting. But I do know this, um, this church family has a duty to each other, to remind each other of who we are, a bunch of scattered pilgrims on international business, if you will. So whenever we get together to, to be together like this, let's cheer each other on, okay, for a taste of home so we can keep going. Because point two, you have a future. That life of joy and boldness will come from looking ahead. Uh, listen to how Peter bursts almost into song from verse three. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. If the Christian life was all about just not fitting in, you could see how you'd end up feeling a bit tired and maybe a bit grim. But it's about so much more than that. There is a destination. When Jesus rose from the grave, he blazed a trail for all his people scattered through time and space. That is where we're going too. Peter describes it as a rich inheritance. Those wilderness pilgrims, they looked forward to a land flowing with milk and honey, their inheritance forever. And they glimpsed it in the promised land. But even that was a foretaste of the green pastures that will roll on forever. No more sin, no more death or crying or pain. A home built by God himself when Jesus returns and we live face to face with him. An inheritance that can never spoil, perish or fade. Last year, we bought a new car. Uh, it was kind of a big deal. Uh, we, you know, we thought having a slightly larger car would be a good thing for the next chapter. After all the agonizing of you know, looking for a good deal, low kilometers, all that, it was a pretty nice feeling uh, to see that mighty Nissan Pathfinder there in our driveway, all shiny. A couple of months later, Aisha was driving home from Aldinga and just out of nowhere, something dropped from an overpass and shattered our windscreen. And kind of just like that, that, you know, we're all set feeling was gone. Now, we're glad the insurance covered the windscreen. It's all good. But, you know, if this world really is the destination, life is going to be full of that kind of frustration and disappointment because even the shiny things that, you know, they're a big deal and we hold out for them, they turn dull in an instant. But if death is not the end, if Jesus really did walk out of his tomb as the trailblazer, then there is a home that is unfading, undefiled, undying. Unlike so many of our hopes in this world that can be dashed by a pebble from an overpass, or a hike in interest rates, nothing can take away that home with God. Are you looking for something that won't fade away? I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're tired of pouring yourself into things that don't satisfy. The exhaustion of keeping up with the Joneses the anxiety of trying to earn someone's approval, trying to fit as much into your life before it all fades. Are you sick of that? Please do not leave here today without hearing. There is more to be found in Jesus. Some of us have been on that road home for a while now. And can I ask when was the last time you praised God just because of your hope? 
If you're anything like me, you're, you're thankful for that hope. But in the busyness of life, it's easy to keep your head down, looking at the cracks in the pavement or maybe the cracks in the windscreen. And you need, a, you need just to be reminded once in a while to look up and see the beautiful future that God has laid out for you, just cracking in over the horizon. I'll never forget reading an open letter written by a pastor in China back in 2018 after he was arrested by the government. Especially this line he wrote, All acts of the church are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another world. Makes me think, man, he, he gets one Peter. I think he's been reading one Peter, right? It's so easy to forget that there is another world when this world seems pretty good. Peter's here to remind us to look up and lean forwards towards that beautiful future because there will be pressure and disappointment in the here and now. But it's okay because you haven't arrived yet. So uh, just on a very practical note, next time something shiny in your house breaks, um, in our household, that'll probably be this afternoon. When that happens, just practice saying, that's okay, I'm not home yet. When you know you belong someplace unfading, you can look at life now with all the great things and the troubles and think, okay, it's smaller than I first thought. Point three, it means something now. How does that glorious future help us when the pressure is on now and disappointments are real now? Are Christians just supposed to stoically endure to the end or can life now be enjoyable? On the flip side, do we take a kind of too blessed to be depressed attitude and just get so fixated on the horizon that we pretend the hurdles in front of us aren't there? Can I say too many people have been hurt by both of those extremes? Peter paints a much richer picture in verse 6 of a life where joy and tears can exist together. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Pain is real. But we can rejoice even through tears because we know it won't last forever. From the perspective of eternity, it is just a little while. And there's comfort in that, but it goes deeper. The suffering you face right now, and I don't know what it is, it could very well be completely bewildering. But it's not just an accident in a chaotic world. Peter said that you may have had to go through them. That is, it's not pointless. The turbulence of life means something. Verse 7 These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to be careful here not to go beyond what God has told us 
We don't always know why suffering hits. And I'm not here to offer some glib response to feel better. But God wants you to know, deep down in the depths, it's not pointless. Somehow, he is using those troubles to refine your faith into something more precious and lasting than gold. It's not meaningless. And it's not invisible either. I think of my friend LJ. Uh, LJ gave up a dream research geek in another city so that she could be a part of a little church plant. Uh, She was convinced that people hearing about Jesus was the most exciting thing happening in the world, and she could see that the hours and demands of that job would affect her ability to be part of that. So she chose to be a little bit less noticed in the world, and there was grief involved in that decision. But Peter says in verse 7 that one day that unseen decision will result in praise and honor in heaven because in some small way it gave glory to Jesus. And that's where the real gold is. Joy and grief can coexist. Let's not make the mistake of those wilderness wanderers. When they were getting close to the promised land, they saw just how big the enemies they were going to meet on the way were. And they grumbled in their tents and said, the Lord hates us. That's Deuteronomy 1 verse 27. The Lord hates us. They forgot who called them. They forgot their future. Forgot that even in the furnace, God is fully on their side. When the pain of life heats up, what story am I going to tell? Is it the Lord hates us story? Or is it the more subtle story, God mustn't really want the best for me? Is it the things just happen to me story, me at the mercy of a chaotic world? Is it the nothing really matters story? Or the things will get better somehow story? I don't know about you, but those stories from my old home are pretty ingrained. If we want to know deep, inexpressible joy in the here and now, we've got to learn the gospel story. The story of a Christ who suffered and then was glorified, as Peter puts it in verse 11. Cross and then resurrection. When we know that story deep down in our bones, we know It's just a little while. I know how this one ends, and I know it's not pointless or invisible. Some of you might remember me talking about my grandfather. Uh, Papa Dino became a Christian quite late in his life. Uh, And around that time, he was going through lots of big health challenges. I remember one night before a particularly dicey surgery he had. We weren't quite sure if he'd come through the other side. And he invited me to come and pray for him, which is kind of a new thing for him. As they wheeled Papadino off, 
he gave a little smile and said, Jamie, either way, I win. In the heat of the moment, he knew the story. Either God pulls me through to live another day and grows me in the process, or he takes me home to glory. I can't lose. Isn't that a golden insight? If you know Jesus, then you can rejoice, even in the diciest moment. But we've got to fight for that joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we fight for joy, holding on to Jesus in grief and pressure, we actually taste our final salvation in the here and now. Because we are walking in that story of suffering and then glory, the same path our Savior walked first. Don't settle for less. Because Jesus is with you on that road, and it means something. Last reason to embrace the life of a chosen exile, because of the angels. So Peter takes us from the future, point two, to the present, point three, now to the past, point four. Have a look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Generations of faithful Old Testament prophets looked forward to the days that we now live in. Because like Peter's first readers, we have the massive privilege of being able to look back at the decisive moment in God's rescue story. They saw the shadows ahead of time, the Exodus, the law, King David, temple, exile, They were all pointing forward to that moment, the cross and the empty tomb. As an aside, um, I think the Bible is clear that those faithful Old Testament believers are saved, just as we are, by faith in Jesus as they welcomed him from afar. But man, how they wish to stand where we do today to be able to see how Jesus came close and fulfilled every promise God made through them. Uh, In our culture, I think the word privileged can be used as a bit of an insult. You know, maybe because we live in such a well-off society and we're a bit embarrassed about how much we have and we want to justify ourselves and feel like we've earned our place. But imagine being someone who the world looks down on, who hasn't made it yet. If you're a public Christian, um, that's actually you. Think of those early believers scattered in Pontus, Galatia and Cappadocia, losing their place in the synagogue, copping insults from their friends, hearing threats of persecution from Rome. You're longing for that great inheritance, but you know you can't earn it yourself and you know the road there is not going to be painless. If that's you, and that's really not a hypothetical, 
you actually need to know that you are privileged from an amazing family tree of faithful saints who longed to know the Messiah just like you know him. In verse 12, Peter adds that even the angels long to look into the truths of the gospel. No matter what your financial position or where you are on the social ladder, if you know Jesus, you cannot get any richer. So let this be a little invitation to embrace your privilege. Wear the label of stranger in the world as a badge of honour when you feel the grief of that hard decision because you chose to put Jesus first, when you get that look of pity from a friend when you talk about church, when you find yourself weeping at the outrageous realities of death and sin in this broken world, just imagine that army around you of faithful Old Testament believers of blazing angels watching on as you walk this tricky path, just wishing that they could trade places with you. What a privileged position. One of God's chosen travellers passing through on the way to heaven. They're cheering you on. So let me leave us with that question. Am I too at home here? Where am I tempted to settle for less? What might it look like for you to wear the name chosen stranger as a badge of honour? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be your chosen pilgrims in this world. Please teach us all the joy of living for something that can never fade. Thank you, Father, that the struggles of life aren't pointless. I just want to pray now for those who are really feeling those struggles right now. Please fill us all with a hope that is alive as Jesus is. Amen.